Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. One semester of law school. One semester of criminal justice. Two experts. I'm Kristen Pitts. I'm Brandi Egan. Let's go to court. On this episode, I'll talk about blood spatter. And I'll be talking about the milkshake murder. Sounds delicious. It's not. Oh. <laughs> Are you going to ruin something wonderful? No, no. It's a small part of the case, but this is how it was known. Um, so this case happens in Hong Kong. Okay. And this is kind of how it was how it was known in the press as the milkshake murder really has very little to do with a milkshake, but um, are you trying to get more listeners around the world? Is that what's happening? I'm here? going international. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> to be fair, this does happen in Hong Kong, but it is a case that involves Americans. So, okay. Um, and, I had never heard of this case. My aunt Stephanie told me about it the other day. And really, she knew like four details of it. But That's fine. I was like, That's that all you sounds need. super interesting. And so I looked it up. It turns out it was super interesting. So thank you, Aunt Stephanie, for this recommendation. Well, Aunt Stephanie knows her shit, right? She I mean, does. She's been, she's been obsessed with true crime since aunt before it was cool. Stephanie loves true crime. Yes. Okay. It was just before midnight on November 6, 2003. Hmm. We're in the storage area of a luxury apartment building in Hong Kong. Police investigators are executing a search warrant on a storage room belonging to Robert and Nancy Kissel. They knew what they were looking for, and upon entering the storage area, they'd spotted it almost immediately. The Hong Kong, the Hong Kong police were investigating the disappearance of Rob Kissel. Co-workers had alerted police after he missed a conference call on the night of November 2nd. Ooh. Oh, oh, you mean my birthday? Yes. This was something that Rob would never do. And they'd been unable to get in touch with him ever since. So like earlier in the day, he had spoken to co-workers to schedule that conference call. Uh-huh. And they thought he sounded weird. And then he didn't show for the conference call. And this dude was like workaholic, worked 24-7. Right. And so it was completely unheard of that he missed this call. He sounded weird. Can you tell us weird Just how? out of it. Kind of okay. slurring his speech a little bit. Okay. So no one had been able to get in touch with him since then. And Nancy, well, Nancy hadn't been real forthcoming with information. Hmm. Like the fact that when police had come to talk to her about Rob and look around their home, she'd forgotten to mention that they had this storage area in another building on the property. Hmm. But when police had talked to some of the employees on the property regarding Rob's disappearance, they had gotten some interesting information from a couple of the maintenance men they said that nancy had called them and asked them to take a rug from the kissel apartment to their storage area how heavy was the rug but when they picked up the rug Mm -hmm. to move it it was wrapped oddly 
there was plastic in the middle of it, and it was way heavier than they expected it to be. No, no. And now, the Hong Kong police detectives were standing in that storage area, looking at that rug, and the maintenance guys were right. It was wrapped oddly. There was like bits of plastic hanging out of it, and it was rolled up kind of loosely and then tied with like rope and bungee cords. Mm-hmm. Now, Kristen. Yeah. I am not a professional organizer, nor <laughs> am I a professional mover. Uh huh. But a rug is literally one of the easiest things to make compact and yes. store. Yes. Yes. You roll it up. And you're done. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to disagree with you here. It's easy in one sense, but what if you got a dead body in it? Then it's not so easy to wrap up, right? You just wrap it up. You don't need tape. You don't need plastic. You don't need bungee cords. That is unless there's a body in the middle of yeah. it. So investigators are looking at this rug. And one steps forward and he reached into the middle of it and he felt what he Ew, believed to wait, be wait. No, no, no. He reached <laughs> into it. Ew, no. No. Reached quit, quit, quit making. <laughs> you guys, she's doing creepy hand gestures like she's the world's most invasive gynecologist. He reached in. Gross. And he felt what he believed to be a head wrapped why, in plastic. Why would you do that? You know what's in there. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure you know what's in there. So they're like, oh, shit, he's definitely inside there. So they unroll it. Oh, God. And sure enough, in the middle of this rug, completely sealed in plastic, then wrapped in red tape, was a body that they would later identify as Robert Kissel. And it was clear that he had been dead for a few days at this point, because when investigators unsealed that plastic. Oh, I'm sure it smelled terrible. The smell of decay hit them like a freight train. Ugh. Nancy Kissel was arrested and charged with murder almost immediately. Like, arrested that same night and by, like, 2 o'clock in the morning had charges of murder. Well, I mean, (laughs) it seems pretty open and shut to me. Robert and Nancy Kissel were two wealthy American expats living the life of luxury in Hong Kong. And when I say wealthy... Robert's estate was valued at upwards of $18 million <gasps> at the time of his death. Oh, wealthy. What? They were wealthy. Holy shit. Okay. Eight, Eighteen $18 million. million. So what had gone wrong? Hold How? on. What kind of business were they in? I'll get there. <laughs> Milkshake business? Keep your pants on. I can't. I can't around $18 million. <laughs> How had Robert wound up dead, wrapped in a rug. Oh boy. It's a baby. It's Let's a see. Baby. You guys, my phone has gone off again. Second we're still week in on, a row. We're still on, we're baby, on watch. baby watch. This baby's playing games with our hearts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, nothing from the baby. It's just Norm <laughs> letting me know how his traveling is going. Oh, excellent. <laughs> when does he get home? So, well, that's the thing. We're going to have to cut nachos short oh, it's or whatever yeah. we end up eating. Um, he, you're, you're not supposed to take it that well. You're oh, supposed no, to be I like, I'm like, so you have sad. To pick up Norm. You have to pick up Norm. No, so his flight gets in at 530. Oh, okay. So I have to take off at yeah. like 5. Okay. Robert Kissel was born into the life of luxury. 
His father was wealthy and he grew up with lots of privilege. For his 16th birthday, he was given his own credit card with only one rule. What? That there were no rules. He could buy anything he wanted with it and daddy would foot the bill. You're kidding me. No. So a lot of this information comes from this episode of Behind Mansion Walls uh-huh. that I watched. Ooh, yes. that sounds like a great show. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, they, they said that, like, I mean, just a super privileged upbringing. Yeah, credit card by the time he was 16 with no rules attached. He could literally buy anything he wanted. Can you imagine? No, I can't imagine. <laughs> no. <laughs> Look at your face. What would we have bought? I I have no idea. Everything so much at Bath Oak Park and Body Mall. Works. <laughs> <laughs> Today I'm gonna smell like a sun ripened raspberry. <laughs> or should it be cucumber melon? Oh, cucumber melon was the shit. Oh I mean, man, that was the jam. <laughs> yes. So he. Grew up super rich, very privileged. And then he met Nancy, who grew up much more modestly. She was from Michigan, not from a wealthy family. Wait, did she have to wait until she was an adult to get her first credit card? Yeah, that's right. That is right. Oh, God. What a terrible (laughs) life. She had to pay her own bill. Ew. So there was like a rule (laughs) where like you can't buy anything you want. (laughs) So they met in 1987 and they married in 1989. After they married, Nancy put her own career aspirations on hold and worked three jobs in Manhattan while Ron worked on his MBA at NYU. He promised her that it would be worth it in the end. He was going to be super successful and they were going to be super rich. And he was right. After graduating from NYU in 1991, Rob got a job at a financial firm in New York. He worked there for five years before landing a position with Goldman Sachs, which eventually took the family overseas to Hong Kong. And then in 2000, he landed a job with Merrill Lynch as the managing director of global investments in Hong Kong. And that position boasted a salary of over $3 million a year. What? Yes. What? Yes. That's crazy. Crazy money. Crazy money. What would you do with $3 million a year? It's laughable to me that that is a salary. Uh And honestly, this shows... This shows a lot about my life. Um, we've done a few cases in the past few weeks where people have had salaries in excess of $1 million. Yeah. I didn't know, really, that people worked in a job yeah. where you would get more than a $1 million yeah. a year. I just thought that was like, I'm living off my investments. I'm you yeah. know, coasting. It is unreal to me that I there mean, are people... I don't want to brag, Christine, <coughs> but my first salaried position, uh-huh. I made $38,000 a year. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> <laughs> and like at the time, uh-huh. I went from an hourly position to a salary yeah. position and I was like, holy shit. <laughs> May I tell you my holy yes. shit moment? Okay, so when I worked at the newspaper, yes. I was making $30,000 yeah. a year, which was like, I know it sounds awful, and it was awful, but for a newspaper, yeah. a small newspaper, I was yeah. like, all right, okay, I'm doing fine. Yeah. Then 
I switched into the dark side of public yes. relations, made $41,000 a year. And I was like, <laughs> drinks on me. <laughs> I oh my god and I remember the first like the first meeting I had in PR yeah uh, they provided juice and snacks for yeah. us and I was like whoa you mean these are free these are for us every time at the newspaper they had snacks it was like it was a potluck and it sucked because we all made thirty thousand dollars right year. uh anyway I, I yeah. learned to stop being impressed by orange juice because it made me look really stupid <laughs> So yeah, so this guy's making three million dollars a year. Relatable. Okay, we're we're with him. But that's not all. What do you? Mean? In addition to that salary, they got luxury living accommodations. Oh my god, they got they had their living expenses taken yes. care of. So the Kissels. At some point along the way, Nancy had popped out like three kids, two girls and a boy. Oh, I believe popped out, boy. <laughs> There's not a lot of details about the kids here. You hearing that, Kyla? You just pop it out. Pop it out. Um, So the Kissels were put up at one of the nicest apartment complexes in all of Hong Kong. It was um, described as more of a resort than an apartment complex. Oh, wow. The rent there was, do you care to venture a guess how much a month? Um... Fifty thousand a month, twenty thousand dollars a month. Okay, it's still crazy, <laughs> it's still crazy money. Um, and it was all paid by Merrill Lynch. Oh my gosh! It had multiple swimming pools, laundry service, housekeeping services, and lots of other American expats working in the Hong Kong finance market. So all of the housewives were friends. They all hung out, and all of the husbands worked crazy hours in this financial market. That. I don't know. That sounds weird. Yeah. It sounds, well, it sounds great, and it also <laughs> sounds kind of sad, too. Yes. So these housewives of the financial types were known to the native Chinese as Tai Tai, which I guess literally means wife in Cantonese, but it carried kind of a derogatory You don't say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh-huh. Nancy, by all accounts, loved this luxury lifestyle. She loved to shop. She loved to swim in the complex's many pools. And she got, wait for it, Kristen. Uh-huh. $5,000 haircuts. What? <laughs> okay. What? I cut hair, and I cannot imagine what a $5,000 haircut would be. I mean, what what would it be? I, I mean, have no idea. What do you get for $5,000? I mean, the I don't, I'm only thinking of really gross stuff right now. Gross. Well, I'm thinking like it'd have to include weird sex stuff, right? I mean, it can't just be a haircut. And I mean, you'd better be walking out of there with like the best hair it ever. It just looked all right. I mean, it was fine. But. Well, yeah, because at a certain point... It's That's hair. just crazy. Yes. That's just crazy money. Yeah. There can't be that big a difference between like a $600 haircut and no a $5,000 one. I have no idea. So Nancy loved the lifestyle, but she didn't necessarily love living in Hong Kong. She missed the U.S. But in 2003, 
something happened in China that sent a huge percentage of the 30,000 Americans living in Hong Kong running back to the United States. Any guess what that might have been? 2003. Mm-hmm. Um, no. The SARS epidemic. Oh. So SARS, or severe, severe acute respiratory syndrome, hit China hard. Between November of 2002 and July of 2003, an outbreak of SARS in southern China caused an eventual 8,098 cases, resulting in 774 deaths in 34 countries. But the majority of the cases were in China. It had like a 10% fatality rate. That's scary. Yeah. So this is really interesting to me. No cases of SARS have been reported worldwide since 2004. Yeah. So what what happened? I don't know. In late 2017, um, Chinese scientists traced the virus through civets, which I've never heard of. It's this weird animal. It looks like a cross between a cat and an otter. Okay. It's like this this animal that's found in China and Africa and other parts of Asia, I'm assuming. Okay. Um, but they tracked the disease like to those cats and then from those, I don't even really know that they're cats. I don't know what they are. Okay. Some kind of animal to these bats, these horseshoe bats that live in caves. Oh, God. Yes. This and is so, getting scarier. So somehow the, the SARS disease uh-huh. originated in these bats and then these civets got it from the bats somehow and then transferred it to people somehow. So yeah, it was a huge deal in 2003. Initial symptoms were flu-like and included fever, muscle pain, lethargy, cough, sore throat, and really the only symptom that seemed common to all patients was the fever that was over 100 degrees. Okay, this is so scary when stuff starts out like <laughs> your run-of-the-mill cold. Yes. And then, oh, no, yeah, someone fucked one of those cat things. I mean, <laughs> yeah. is that how it happened? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Where they, like, let one, like, lick their mouth or something, right? Let's hope it was that way. Huh. Eventually, as SARS progressed, it would lead to shortness of breath and pneumonia. Um, and then as it got worse, it could be even viral pneumonia or bacterial pneumonia. No. 10% of the people that got it died. Yeah, that's, that's nuts. That's awful. So I don't know if you remember this. I remember it, it was a huge fucking deal at the time. People yeah. were wearing those masks okay. everywhere. Yes. You'd see all that footage of people in airports with those masks on. Yes. And um, Kanye West even rapped about it in his song, New Workout Plan. Let's hear it. Oh, girl, your silhouette makes me want to light a cigarette. My name, Kanye, from the Gigaset. Twist said, get it wet. (laughs) Ooh, girl, your breath is harsh. Cover your mouth up like you got SARS. (laughs) Beautifully said. Thank you. (laughs) So, anyway, in March of 2003... Mm-hmm. 2003. <laughs> in March of 2003, when the epidemic was at its worst, Nancy and Rob decided that she and the kids would go to their vacation home near Stratton Mountain in Vermont, which apparently is a popular ski resort area. Okay. Unsure of how long she and the kids would need to stay in Vermont, Nancy invested in an expensive home entertainment setup for to entertain herself and the kids. 
The man she bought it from set her up with his brother to install the equipment. And that's when Michael Del Priori waltzed into Nancy Kissler's life. Kissler? Kissel. Kissel's life. (laughs) (laughs) I like how you said it so confidently at first. (laughs) Well, I was like, why is it different there? Hmm. It's Kissel. Okay. For sure. Is it? (laughs) (laughs) Michael was described as ruggedly handsome, though I've not seen any pictures of him, so I can't not uh, confirm or deny that. Okay. Um, But the two became very close while he worked on Nancy's home. Mm. One day, he confided to her that his alcoholic father used to beat his mother. He said he revealed this to Nancy because he noticed that she often wore that same downtrodden look that his mother always had. Oh. And that was all Nancy needed to hear. She found a man that understood her nuances. Uh He saw past that perfect, chiseled, beautiful exterior Mm. to the dissatisfied housewife inside. The two became lovers. Was she being, like, abused? I don't know. Was she? Kristen? Oh, is this another one of these? <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> okay, so they're they're becoming lovers, yeah. And best friends. Oh, well, that's great. <laughs> Though, Nancy said she never considered leaving her husband for him. Well, yeah, I mean, did this dude make three million a year? I doubt it. Yes, she loved Michael. But her home was in Hong Kong with her husband. Translation. Michael lived in a trailer park on the shit side of town. Rob was worth $18 million. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Not even. Oh. I was thinking this Michael character was like doing all right. Not so much. Okay. Some articles described him as an electrician, which electricians make great money. Yeah. Yeah. And then other articles um, referred to him as a TV repairman. Yeah, there's a world of difference. I'm going to say if he was in the trailer park, probably probably a TV TV (laughs) repairman. By the summer of 2003, the SARS epidemic was over and Nancy and the kids returned to Hong Kong. She and Michael still kept in touch and Rob grew suspicious. Mm. Sometime after Nancy and the kids returned to Hong Kong, I believe it was like August Robert hired a private investigator to confirm his suspicions about Nancy. And by November 2nd, Robert was dead, bludgeoned to death with an eight-pound statuette. Oh. Yeah. That's a wealthy way to go. It is. (laughs) Nancy pled not guilty. She said it was self-defense. She'd been a victim of domestic abuse, and killing Robert had been the final act in the fight for her life. Oh, jeez. You're not allowed to do these anymore. (laughs) I hate this stuff. Her trial began in June of 2005 at Hong Kong's high court before Justice Michael Lunn. It lasted 65 days. Whoa. It's a long one. Nancy pulled a full-on Jody Arias, or maybe... Jody Arias pulled a Nancy because this case happened before Jody's. Nancy ditched her blonde hair, makeup, and flashy clothing for the court. Uh-huh. Instead, she dyed her hair dark brown, donned a pair of glasses, and dressed each day in a conservative black dress. 
it was quite the transformation. She was like this beautiful blonde, like always uh-huh. dressed very fancy. And now she is this meek little dark haired, plain looking woman. What do you think court. about that? Oh, I think it's a I think it's a tactic, but I think it's shitty. <laughs> See, I don't necessarily think it's shitty. Why? It's it's a lie. Okay. Let's say you really are innocent of something. Uh-huh. And you think your looks yeah. might affect how a jury's going to see you. I mean, all this stuff I is I think it's subjective. super manipulative. What if you just want a little make under? <laughs> <laughs> I I mean, I, I think there's no reason to do that other than to manipulate the jury. Well, yeah, it's manipulation, but <laughs> yeah. the whole thing's manipulation. I, I mean, mean, it, it is. is. Okay, yeah. okay. <laughs> Some commentators even opined that perhaps Nancy was attempting to make herself look more Asian to gain the sympathy of the jury. Well, I mean, you're not going to fool anybody. No, you're not. But (laughs) But okay, but to look like less of an outsider, maybe? Now, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's say you're on trial for murder. Okay. You don't take the blue out of your hair? No. You don't cover your tattoos? No. You don't take out I mean, your my, piercings? I mean, my defense attorney would probably make me. You're, now, let's, now, let's say your defense attorney is like, I, okay, I would not go makeupless. Well, no, no, 100%. neither would I. I'm too vain for that. Yeah. It's like, if my face is going to be everywhere, this is not going to be the one day yeah. I don't put on <laughs> yes. eyeliner. But I'm saying, like, you're on trial for murder, and your defense attorney is like, look, we want you to look like, more like just... Your average woman you'd see on the street, wear whatever makeup you do, you want, but, like, let's cover the tattoos, take out the lip piercing, take the blue out of your hair. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Yeah, I'd probably do it. Exactly. But it feels Case like a lie. Closed. It's a lie. That's not who I am. Wait, you are your They make blue? up part of my personality, yeah. Listen, you've had this personality a long ass <laughs> time. <laughs> Uh, side note, I'm getting rid of the blue. You are? I am. I have a hair appointment on Friday. What are you doing? Mullet? Yeah. <laughs> rat tail? <laughs> I'm doing like a long braided rat tail. <laughs> cool. <laughs> no, what are you going to do? Like a balayage. Okay. That's, blonde pieces. I'm, I'm very excited about yeah. this. Yeah. Is it because you're about to go on trial for something? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. Continue. Continue. <laughs> the prosecution painted Nancy Kissel as a duplicitous cheating wife who meticulously planned the murder of her husband so that she could run off with her lover. Yeah. Rob had found out that she was cheating and told her that he was going to divorce her. She'd be left with nothing. Say goodbye to that luxury lifestyle you love so much, Nancy. So Nancy had come up with a plan. She would drug Rob And then, when he was passed out and defenseless, she'd murder him. Oh. Rob had five drugs in his body at the time of his death. Whoa. Including Rohypnol, commonly known as the date rape drug. Ooh. What do you think about that, Kristen? How do you think that looks for old Nance? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm I'm struggling with this one because I feel like... What was it just last week that you did or was it the week before that you did week another before? Okay. I did, I, I did another Bob and Nancy. 
Is it another? Oh my <laughs> gosh, another Bob and Nancy. This, this is so This weird. Bob goes by Rob. But. Okay, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I'm feeling more like in this one, mm-hmm. I'm not, I haven't heard enough about the alleged abuse. Mm-hmm. Whereas the other one, it seemed like there was clearly abuse going on in that house for decades. And it, to me, it did seem like she did snap. But this one, it, it seems a little more like, I don't know. Did they not have? Did they have a prenup? Is that? Uh, I do not believe so. I don't. They know. didn't have a prenup. I don't know. Hmm. See, that's they important might have to had me. some because he came from money and she didn't. It didn't come up in the court case, but, so I don't know. But why was she working three jobs? I know. I thought that was odd too. Because to me, that sounds like if she's working three jobs and he's doing his masters, mm-hmm. then it sounds like she's supporting them. Mm-hmm. Which in that case. If I'm doing that for you, no, I am not signing a prenup. Thank you very mm-hmm. much. Maybe they did have a prenup, and maybe it said if she, mm. if either of them committed adultery, that they yeah, would then, be they okay. get nothing. See, to me, the, the prenup makes it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know; it didn't come up in anything that I watched or any of the articles that I read. Okay, okay, continue. So he's got five drugs in his body. One of them is rehypnol. The date rape drug. Uh-huh. The other four? Nancy had prescriptions for all four of them in her name from different doctors. Okay. Not great, right? No, nope, not great. <laughs> the prosecution alleged that on November 2nd, Kristen's birthday, Nancy had prepared a strawberry milkshake for Rob, and it had been laced with the five drugs. After downing the milkshake, which was delivered to Rob by his young daughter. I'm sorry. sorry. I thought you were going to say which was delicious. (laughs) No. What I said was that it was delivered by his young daughter. Okay. That is so fucked up. It is fucked up. It's super fucked up. So after he drank this milkshake, he went to the bedroom to lay down. He said he wasn't feeling well. I bet. Then, sometime after he'd passed out, Nancy had taken an eight-pound statuette from the kitchen. Oh, God. And beat Rob's head with it five times. By the time she was done, his brain matter was leaking out of his fractured skull. Okay, why do you do this? (laughs) Oh, what? I think it's important to know. Like, she didn't just, like, you know, hit him twice and hope he was not, like, hope he was done. She bashed his head in. Yeah, yeah. Five times with an eight-pound statuette. Then, for the next couple of days, Nancy kept Rob's body in her bedroom. What? She slept beside it for two or three nights. No, 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 no. No, she didn't. She did, before finally wrapping it in plastic, rolling it up in the rug, and having it moved to the storage unit. What? So this is the theory put forth by the prosecution. Oh, my God. And they produced a couple of witnesses who could back some of this up. The first was a neighbor of the Kissels. He had been there at the house on November 2nd. His daughter was having a play date with the Kissels' (gasps) daughter, and he was sitting in the living room with Rob Kissel when their daughters brought them strawberry milkshakes. Oh, my God. Yeah, this guy... 
drank his strawberry milkshake, which he said tasted like strawberries, bananas, and crushed cookies. Mm -hmm. And then he'd gone home because he wasn't feeling well. And then he'd fallen asleep on the couch for 18 hours. What? When he woke up, he had completely soiled the couch. Oh, my God. Oh. Oh, no. And he had almost no memory of how he got there. Well, I bet not. Yes. So this guy didn't have, like, a spouse or anything. He did. He had a wife who tried to wake him several times during this, and he would come around a little bit and then immediately pass back out. Okay, if that were Norman, we'd be going to the hospital. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't be like, okay, yeah. go ahead and poop I'm on the couch. He's fine. Go ahead and shit all over the couch. <laughs> was his milkshake poison, do you think? You think it was laced with five drugs, Kristen? I don't know. I often just go on a milkshake <laughs> bender and I'm out of it for days. I can't believe she drugged him, too. I know, right? Well, and I think the part that's really getting to me is like, these little girls yeah i can here here's what i can promise you little Kristen. if i was asked to deliver something delicious to you're someone gonna else, take a drink of it uh, yeah yeah I'd be like, sorry. you're gonna like stick your finger in get a little taste i'd be like sorry mom only made you half a milkshake and then i, I guess i just you just die. die yeah that's messed up yeah no, I'm I'm fully against Nancy on this one. Hmm. We haven't heard Nancy's take yet. <sighs> okay. <laughs> Next, that private investigator that Rob had hired to uh-huh. look into Nancy, he testified. He said that in late August of 2003, Rob had called him and said, I think Nancy might be poisoning me. Oh. My scotch that I drink every night tastes funny. And after I drink it, I feel kind of weird, kind of sleepy, kind of woozy. I think something's up. Wow. And so the private investigator was like, okay, let me look into this. He installed like spyware on Nancy's phone and computer so Uh he could track her internet searches. And it turns out that Nancy was doing all kinds of research about how different drugs would affect people. Yeah, yeah, just a typical thing you yes. do. And so he called Rob and he's like, don't drink anything. Don't stop drinking your scotch. I think she's definitely poisoning you. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's pretty bad. Yes. Yes. So the prosecution has said what they think happened. They brought forth a couple of witnesses who said, mm-hmm. yeah, we're pretty sure she she was poisoning him. Yes, absolutely. But Nancy was going to take the stand in her own defense. Oh, bad move. She admitted that she killed her husband, but she maintained that it was in self-defense. Under the law in Hong Kong, Nancy Kissel could have pleaded insanity in the murder. Um, that's kind of like, that's kind of how self one self-defense argument there okay. is that you like went into a rage and you had no control over sure. what you did. But under an insanity defense, she would have been guaranteed um, incarceration in a psychiatric facility for some amount of time. That seems fair. Yeah. Yeah. Instead, she and her lawyer, um, or barrister, as they call it there, chose another route. 
they pled diminished responsibility. So the legal system in Hong Kong is based off of the British system. Mm -hmm. And this diminished responsibility allows defendants to plead guilty to a crime committed under extraordinary circumstances that reduce the defendant's culpability. So she's saying, yes, I did it, but this is why I did it. And under that defense, the defendant must testify and give their version of events. And it's a risky move. Because a plea of diminished responsibility shifts the burden of proof from the prosecution to the defense. That's interesting. Yes. So the defense has to be able to prove that this is what she did and why she did it. Okay. Okay. I think that's pretty interesting. That fascinates me. Yeah. Yeah. So it allows the prosecution to have to do a lot less They basically just have to be able to poke holes in the defense's version. Okay. Rather than having to prove how and why she killed him. Wow. All right. All right. On August 1st, 2005, Nancy Kissel took the stand and she presented a very different portrait of her husband. To their community in Hong Kong, Robert Kissel was a successful, respected, and admired colleague. But to his wife, he was a cocaine addict and a brutal control freak who beat her regularly and forced her to have rough anal sex every night. Oh, no. According to Nancy, her husband's use of cocaine started when he was studying for his MBA in New York. And... She was working all of those jobs to support them. They would argue about it, she said. And she said that he was wasting their hard-earned money on drugs. But he got his degree, and they went on to make this money, and everything was fine. Serious trouble started, she testified, after the birth of their first child. She told the court that she gained weight, and her body had changed. And Robert said he no longer found her attractive. He hounded her to lose weight, she said. And according to Nancy, his sexual preference had turned away from traditional sex to anal sex. God, this story is nuts. It's so crazy. She said that she believed it was because he no longer wanted to see her face. Well, I I don't know. (laughs) God. She said... Every night, he would assault her sexually. On one occasion, she said that he was so aggressive, she heard something pop in her torso. Oh, no. And she went to the hospital next day and learned that he'd broken one of her ribs. Ooh. What do you think about this? Ugh. I hate it because it's it's the same thing I always feel, which is that, you know, if she's the victim, then yeah, I feel you terrible feel terrible for, for her, her if she's a victim. And then and I think, well, she did what she had to do. The only thing that's making me think this is bullshit is that she poisoned that other guy and she put those two little girls at risk. To me, that's not someone yeah. who's acting out of self defense or snapping. It's someone who is kind of 
a murderous I think it's 100% jerk. bullshit. I think she thought of the worst things that she could say about him and stuff that would be difficult to corroborate. Nobody else would know what went on in their bedroom. Well, but that's that's the thing about a lot yeah, of domestic it is. violence. It, so you're I'm, right. You're totally right. Did they have the hospital records and everything? As far as I found, they weren't able to produce any witnesses who could verify her her hospital visit mm-hmm. or anything. Hmm. Yeah, because I looked into that because I was like, okay, where are the where are the medical yeah, that records? That should be easy to yeah. back up. Uh, yeah. Okay. I, yeah. You're losing me. Hmm. So she went on and on. She testified for ten days about how horrible it was being married to him. He worked mm-hmm. all the time, and then when he wasn't at work, he was abusive and all of this stuff. Yeah. And then she talked about how she had had this affair and how she loved this other man, but the thought of leaving. Her husband never crossed her mind. Okay, well, that's just... It's dumb! It is! It's bullshit! It's just bullshit. Yeah. So she testified to that, on the one hand, that her home was with Rob in Hong Kong. But then on another, on the other hand, later in her testimony, so as I mentioned, she testified over 10 days. Yeah. She testifies that at one point she asked him for a divorce. And he said, oh no, you don't get to ask for a divorce. If we're getting a divorce, I get to ask for the divorce. And then flew into a fit of rage and hit her. Well. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. How, do you, how do you know? Okay. When he so he hired the private investigator. Mm-hmm. How long did he sit on the information? Um, so he hired the private investigator at the end of the summer of two thousand three, and okay. this event happened in November. So, see, to me that seems believable. Then that he would say, "You don't get to ask for a divorce. I get mm-hmm. to ask for a divorce." I mean, if he had all the information and he was yeah. sticking around, yeah. Oh, this, this. Nancy also testified that his moods were often volatile and that the children were sometimes the brunt of it. She said that one time he was on a conference call for work and one of the kids was jumping on their bed and making all this noise. And so he stormed into her room and yanked her off the bed and broke her arm. Oh, Okay, medical records? There, I believe that there's record of her breaking the arm, but that story was never told before then. The reason, I think the story was told that she fell off the bed and broke the arm, which is believable, which is believable that you would tell that story. Yes, I mean, that's what, it's, it's that's totally what believable. It's, it's believable that a kid would break their arm. It's yes. also believable that in a domestic violence situation, everyone would be like, oh, gee, yeah, little Susie just fell off the bed. Exactly. Yeah. It's really hard to know. Okay, keep going. Keep going. I'm so intrigued. Um, So they, uh, the defense also brought forth some character references or character um, witnesses. Witnesses, thank you. (laughs) Character witnesses for Nancy. And they said that she was a a devoted mother who Mm -hmm. spent a lot of time volunteering at the kids' schools and that she was always present in their lives and that's about all that those character witnesses said not i mean nobody could vouch for her version of what her marriage was like and and i believe that that's completely possible it could have been that terrible and nobody could have known 
I feel like that's the case in a lot. I, of, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely it is. Yeah, nobody's going to be bragging about how terrible their fucking husband is. Right. Yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah. So she said, My husband's so bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I skipped a little part here. Sorry, I'm okay. going to back up just for a second. So another thing that Nancy said is she she tried to offer explanations for why she had the that search history of all of those drugs and things that she had looked up. Mm-hmm. And she said she was simply looking for ways to make her own life easier. If she could drug herself a little bit, maybe it'd be a little bit easier to get through the abuse and get through the pain. And that's why she mm. saw those different doctors so she could get those different medications and... All of that. She completely denied drugging okay. her husband. Well, you just, you can't deny drugging him. She and completely denies this it. Is- she said that this happened in a completely different way than the prosecution laid forth. She said that she asked Rob for a divorce and he flew into a fit of rage. He grabbed her and he forced her into the bedroom and he started raping her. And she had grabbed that that eight pound statuette on her way out mm-hmm. of the kitchen as some, an item to defend herself against him. And she just kind of, while he was forcing himself on her, reached back and hit him with it and, and realized that she had, no, she had killed him. No, no, it just doesn't match. No. And did she have like big defensive wounds on her? No. no. Okay. Yeah. Then no. Nope. No. Nope. Not at all. I think in a case like this, the only thing you can really say is, yeah, he was abusive and horrible. Mm-hmm. And it came to a point where I was like, it's his life or mine. And yeah. I decided to kill him. Yeah. But, I mean, you're going to have to do jail time for that. So I guess that wasn't what she wanted. No. Yeah. I just think it was totally the wrong move to deny poisoning him. Well, like, yeah. You you really you can't. You poisoned two guys. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. You can't deny that. And the physical evidence yeah. shows that he didn't fight back. Like, yeah. I, so she said that she hit him the one time and he was super stunned and he was like sitting. He fell to the floor and then he crawled up and he was on the bed and he, he realized he was bleeding. And so he started to try and swing at her. And so she just hit him a couple more times with the statue. Yeah, I don't think so. No. I don't no. think I don't think that works. I mean, was he like half her size? Because then no. maybe then it yeah, works. No. <laughs> no. So the trial wrapped up in August of 2005. During his closing arguments, the prosecutor told the jury this was a cold blooded murder. Instead of the life or death struggle with a madman that Nancy tried to depict, Um, Chapman said that that the defendant had used that figurine to inflict the injuries on Robert Kissel as he was lying down helpless, unconscious, as a result of drinking the potent milkshake she had given him. Her motive, he contended, was to remove the obstacle in her life that Robert Kissel had become so that she could make room for her lover. Yeah, yeah, I think that lays it out pretty good. Mm -hmm. In the defense's closing argument, um, Nancy's attorney said that his client had killed her husband in self-defense during a struggle that had begun 
when Rob announced that he was filing for divorce and that he was going to take the kids from Nancy. Okay. That's not quite what Nancy said on the stand. Right. And I don't think it makes any sense. Yeah. At what point, how how does Robert fly into a rage and Nancy has to defend herself after... He says he's going to file for divorce. Yeah, that really, yeah, it that really doesn't work. doesn't work. Yeah. So he also claimed in his closing argument that investigators had overlooked bloodstains in the apartment that would have proven that there was a struggle that took place in there because there were no, they found no signs of struggle, right, right. no defensive wounds, nothing that mm-hmm. showed that there had been this great fight. And so he's saying, no, they were there. They just missed him. I can't really prove that to you. I don't have any pictures to show you. (laughs) Believe me, they were there. Uh (laughs) The jury deliberated for eight hours. What do you think they found? Guilty for sure. They found her guilty. um, And she was sentenced immediately to the mandatory sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole. Yeah. But she appealed her conviction in 2008. But... Her appeal was rejected. Yeah. So she appealed her case all the way to the court of final appeal. (laughs) What? (laughs) And in January of 2010, a five judge panel looked it over and they said she deserved a new trial. Really? Yeah. Why? I don't know. Damn it, Brandy. Hold on. It was something about they believed that the defense had or that the prosecution had brought forth some kind of evidence that shouldn't have been admissible. Huh. Okay. And but I you don't, don't know, know what I it is. I don't know okay. what what specific what specific as evidence it was. Okay. But something they felt led to her getting a less than fair trial. Something okay. was presented that they didn't think the judge should have let in, and it led to Nancy getting a less than fair trial. So she was, her conviction was overturned. Mm -hmm. She was allowed to seek bail and get release until she was retried. She didn't for some reason. Probably didn't have the money. Probably, I'm guessing. Yeah. But she was um, tried again and reconvicted. Oh, well. So So she remains in prison in Hong Kong. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That story was crazy. Crazy, right? Yes. So here is a little crazy tidbit that's not really related. So Rob had a brother that he was super close with. His name was Mm -hmm. Andrew or Andy. I think he went by Andy, who lived in Greenwich, Connecticut. Okay. Um, Greenwich is how they (laughs) pronounce it. And he was also super wealthy, uh-huh. but it turned out that he was wealthy because he was doing shady business deals. Oh. So he was a real estate investor, but he was like buying all this real estate and then forging documents to prove that he'd paid off the mortgages on them when he hadn't actually. Oh, yeah, it was all of the like crazy stuff. He ends up getting indicted for it. Like they figure out what's going on, that he's got all this fraud and larceny uh-huh. and all this stuff going on. So he's placed on house arrest. And then his wife files for divorce because all of his assets are frozen. And she's like, fuck this. I'm out of here. Uh-huh. And so they're having to liquidate all of the assets that aren't frozen. Yeah. And so he's on house arrest in this big mansion in Greenwich. Uh-huh. And he's having to move out of it. So these movers come in like on the last day that he's supposed to be out of the house. And nobody's answering the door. 
And so they get a hold of his ex-wife, her name's Haley, get a hold of her, and she gives them the code to get in. They get in the house. They oh, can't no. find where they dead. can't find Andy anywhere. He's in the basement dead. He's been murdered. Murdered? Oh, he's I... He's been stabbed, and his throat has been cut. He's tied to a chair. Oh, my he's God. He's stabbed, like, I don't know, like 11 times in the back, and then his throat was slashed. He's bled Shut out. Shut up. Yeah. I thought you were going to say that he'd committed suicide. Did he? Well, obviously not. Oh, really? Is it so obvious? Yes, it's so obvious. There's this big theory. So, okay. Stabbed 11 times and slit his own throat. All superficial stab wounds. Oh, my God. What? Okay, <laughs> tell me. The- <laughs> Damn it. So, it's not really been solved. There is someone who's been convicted of the crime, uh-huh. but prosecutors and police don't believe they got the full story. So, at at the end, when all of his life was falling apart, this Andy guy had, like, one friend left. It was okay. his driver. His name was Carlos. Okay. The guy that pled guilty to murdering him is Carlos's cousin, and he said that Carlos paid him to kill Andy. Police and investigators believe that Andy paid them to kill him and make it look like he'd been tortured by, like, a mobster or something like that so that his family wouldn't know that he'd really committed suicide. No, so come he's gonna on. He's going to go to prison for a long time. There's a lot of people that believe that version. They tried but, to try Carlos, and he was acquitted. But... Is suicide really that much more shameful than going to prison for the rest of your life? Like, oh, my family can't know this part. I don't know. It's much better if they think I was <laughs> murdered and tortured. By the mob. <laughs> That's silly. It's uh, less cowardly. It would be seen as less cowardly. I'm not saying it's less cowardly. <laughs> I'm saying it would be. Yeah. Yeah, maybe less sad. Yeah. In that sense, like it hmm. But there's a mother out there who thinks both of her children were murdered, who believes that both of her children were murdered. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, one was 100% one, yeah. for sure murdered. Yeah. The other one, question mark. Nobody really knows. It's crazy. It's a crazy story. Nuts. His his whole life story is is so crazy. There's a bunch of articles about him. His name's Andrew Kissel. Do some reading on him because it's nuts. Like he was super into to coke and hookers and sure. doing bad things. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. That was that was so good. Yeah. Thanks, Aunt Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was crazy. All right. You ready for some blood? I am. Ugh. You know I love blood. I know you do. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. So starting off with a big thank you to Camille. Camille emailed in with this case suggestion. Uh-huh. And I've got to say, like all of this comes from a fantastic article in the Texas Observer by Dave Mann. And it's one of those things where if I tell you the headline, it's oh, going to give it away. So I'm going to save that for later. But just Excellent. know that like all of this comes from Dave Mann. Thanks, Dave. Thanks. You're the man. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> 
You know what's funny? I started that off as like a dad joke, but then I and really, it too then much. I genuinely laughed at it. Okay. Bonnie and Warren Hornack had a shitty relationship. Ooh, the best kind. <laughs> They'd been married for three years, and Bonnie's friends were worried about her. They said Warren abused her and that Warren was a drunk. And there was really no denying that last part. Warren had been a Fort Worth police officer for a long time, but he lost the job because of his drinking. Everyone thought these two were headed for a divorce. But on Tuesday, March 14, 1995, Bonnie and Warren appeared to be having a pretty good time. Mm-mm. They were at their local TGI Fridays, living it up. Bottomless apps. (laughs) Apps, zerts, and drinks. (laughs) No, so so Bonnie had this, like, really nice job as an attorney Mm -hmm. in downtown Fort Worth. And Warren, I'm not quite sure what he was doing. I mean, he'd been fired from the police force. I think he had his own gig. But anyway, they're getting drunk at TGI Fridays. Mm Mm-hmm. Like you do. Yeah. So they arrived at about 7.15, and a little after 11 p.m., they left. Warren had, like, 11 Coors Lights, and Bonnie had a bunch of Chardonnay. By the way. 11? Seems like too much to you? What? Yeah, that's a shit ton. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a lot of Coors Light. My gosh. By the way, who gets drunk at a TGI Friday? Right? I mean, I worked at TGI Fridays, and I never saw anyone get drunk there. Yeah. By the time they left, they were obviously both drunk. So naturally, they drove home. Great. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you get an Uber when you've had 12 Coors Lights. Um, Uber didn't exist in 1995. You know what I mean. (laughs) Roughly half an hour later, Warren called 911. He was in an extreme panic. He tried talking to the dispatcher, but he was so sloshed that, like, his words ran together. He couldn't understand this guy at all. Oh, my gosh. Finally, he pulled himself together and said, my wife just shot herself. Police arrived on the scene and found Bonnie lying in bed. She'd been shot in the chest. Hmm. And Warren was there trying to perform CPR. So when he made that call, you could hear her breathing. Mm -hmm. And so he was trying to administer CPR, but the paramedics get there and they're like, buddy, you you have to stop. She's gone. And eventually they just had to pull him out of the room. Immediately, police start looking around. They see a shotgun at the edge of the bed. And a revolver right next to Bonnie. Odd. Yeah. Otherwise, the house looked fine. No signs of a break-in. The only other person in the house at the time Bonnie was shot was Warren. Mm -hmm. Then there was other weird stuff. Bonnie had a pillowcase wrapped around her neck. And Warren had blood splattered all over his shirt. There was no bullet. Police are like, okay. What? Mm Mm-hmm. Did Bonnie really shoot herself? Because it doesn't look like it. 
J.D. Roberts was one of the first officers who arrived that day. And he was like, I think I know what's going on here. Warren shot Bonnie with a shotgun, and then he strangled her with the pillowcase. What? What? That doesn't make any sense. What do you think's going on? I don't know what's going on yet. <laughs> I don't have enough information. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> Later, the medical examiner did the autopsy and was like, no, she wasn't strangled. <coughs> but I was. <laughs> Strangled by phlegm. Gross. This is why we have a podcast, because I've got such a beautiful voice. So the medical examiner's like, no, she wasn't strangled. And that missing bullet? Well, yeah, we can't find it. But we can see that it went through the mattress and the carpet and eventually went into the foundation of the house. So it's not like it's like... Missing. Right, it's just... We can't recover it. Right. Got it. Okay. All right. The medical examiner listed the manner of death as undetermined. But they were pretty sure it was a suicide. Bonnie's body showed no signs of struggle, and the gun had been placed right against her skin when it was fired. So that looked like a self-inflicted wound. What? What? No! What? No! What? Bullshit! (laughs) Okay, she... She held a shotgun to her own chest Hold on. and killed herself? Hold on. Hold on. There was a shotgun in the room and there was a revolver in the room. Uh, I don't believe that a revolver bullet is going through and through her body, through the mattress, through the floor, and into the foundation so it can't be recovered. Wow. This is bullshit if I've ever heard it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Pretty soon. The case went to assistic, Assistant District Attorney Mike Parrish. Also, I'd like to point out that I know nothing about guns. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you know more than I do. You seem to know a lot about what's going to happen to a revolver bullet. He spoke to... I feel very confident about something I know nothing about. That describes us completely. Yes. <laughs> assistant District Attorney Mike Parrish spoke to some of the police officers... He read the medical examiner's Who report. Who shoots themselves in the chest to commit suicide? I don't know. You think it always happens in the head? Yeah. You're not going to die immediately in the chest. Who's going to choose to suffer like that? I'm not buying it. Continue. <laughs> what if you're, like, really drunk, though? I mean, your judgment would be off, I'm guessing. Yeah. I still am not buying it. Okay. Okay. It's my official opinion so far. All right. I reserve the right to change it at any time. (laughs) So, you know, he spoke to the police officers who were there on the scene. He read the medical examiner's report and he decided, yeah, sounds like a suicide. Mm Mm-hmm. But Bonnie's parents were like, no way. Yeah. Bonnie was a successful attorney. She earned six figures in 1995. She just got a new job at a cool downtown law firm. And yeah, she did suffer from depression, but she was overall really happy. The only thing shitty about her life was Warren. Her friends agreed. She told them that Warren could be, vi- could be violent and that when he drank, she was afraid of him. Bonnie's parents knew 
that Warren had killed their daughter. And when the DA declined to prosecute, they were like, no, we're not done here. We are taking this into our own hands. They hired their own attorney and a private investigator. And they discovered some really troubling stuff. They learned that once in 1992, police were called to the home where Warren and Bonnie lived lived together. Warren was drunk and firing his gun into their pool. What? You know how you do. No! Yeah, yeah, come on, come on. (laughs) Do you ever get get drunk and bored and just want (laughs) to fire your gun into a pool? No! Okay, well. I'm hoping, I mean, the risks for leaks would be high, I feel like. (laughs) I read somewhere that it was like, uh, the pool was empty. I don't know if that makes a difference for you. Mm. Mm -hmm. Either way, weird way to spend your night. Yeah. Then, in 1993, Warren shot a gun over Bonnie's head while she was lying in bed. Mm-hmm. Now, don't worry. Are we still thinking this was only a suicide? Well, yeah. Okay. Because here's, here's the thing. Don't worry. Don't worry. I know that sounds bad. In fact, to the attorney, it sounded like a pattern of abuse. Uh, yeah. In fact. But in reality, it's totally chill. Okay, it's totally fine. See, Warren just did that. He just shot the gun above her head to get her attention. It was... Yeah, that's normal behavior. Hold on, yeah. Well, it was like a fun little joke. No! Yes, yes. Okay, okay. I'll say, not his best material. (laughs) But he was just trying to get her attention. So he held the gun up against the wall and fired. So obviously he wasn't intending to hurt her. It was just a hilarious thing he did to get her attention. (sighs) No. Yeah. 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 I'm totally with you. That is 100% abusive behavior. Absolutely (laughs) terrifying, crazy. Yes. Awful. Yeah. 1993 was also the year that Warren was fired from the police force. The day he was let go, he went home locked himself in a room, and told Bonnie that he was going to kill himself. Bonnie called the police. Mm -hmm. They arrived at the home, took him away, and as they were walking him away, he yelled at Bonnie. He said he'd make her pay for doing this to him. Hmm. So Bonnie's parents' attorney, Mike Ware, had all this evidence showing that Bonnie and Warren had an abusive relationship and that Warren was a pretty scary dude. Mike was certain that Warren killed Bonnie. Uh But Mike Ware was not a district attorney. So what the hell could he do with this information? Turns out, there's this weird law on the books in Texas that no one ever uses. And according to this law, anyone can bring evidence before a grand jury. What? Yeah. Okay, this is the craziest thing. So the way the article was worded, it almost seemed like any, like, concerned citizen could just Uh bring it. Surely that can't. Surely Surely you have to at least be an attorney. But, I mean, bottom line is, it's this weird law. And, yeah, in Texas, if you you feel like something bad happened, you can, I guess, jump through a few hoops, present it to a grand jury. Huh. So Mike Ware did exactly that. It was a totally circumstantial case, but it was pretty compelling. And in 1996, Warren was indicted for murder. 
So they've got this indictment. But the DA was like, sorry, don't care. What? I don't think he did it. Oh, my gosh. And therefore, it would be unethical for me to prosecute him. A grand jury thinks that he did it. So. Or that there's reason to believe he committed a crime. Yeah. Yeah. So the DA's office recused itself from the case. Who takes it then? (laughs) So a judge assigned two private attorneys to act as special prosecutors. (laughs) This is nuts. This This is crazy. So the DA can just be like, nah, thanks. Apparently. What? Because here's the thing. The DA, like everyone on the prosecution side thought it was a suicide. So this judge is like, okay, we're going to get these private attorneys to act as these special prosecutors. So this led to a weird, weird trial. The prosecution was made up entirely of lawyers who were in private practice. And of course, they used their own private psychologists and private investigators. You know, they used who they were used to working with. Yeah. Meanwhile, the defense was made up of people who normally serve on the state side. So the crime scene investigator, the homicide sergeant, and the DA all testified for the defense. It was like bizarro upside down world. Yes. This is the craziest thing. It's nuts. Thank you, Camille. Yeah. So here's the thing. Warren's attorney was not worried. He was like, look, you may have been abusive. You may have been a drunken asshole, but there's no evidence that you murdered your wife. And you can't be convicted of murder with no evidence. At trial, the jury heard all of the drunken incidents that we just went over. They heard from Bonnie's friends and family. They also heard from defense witnesses who said that Bonnie's death looked like a suicide. They heard Warren's side of the story. According to Warren, on the night Bonnie died, he and Bonnie got home from TGI Fridays. He went into their home office to check his messages, and that's when he heard the gunshot. No, I don't believe it. No? You know, he hears the gunshot. He thought someone had broken into the house, so he grabbed his shotgun ran into the bedroom and found Bonnie shot. Mm -hmm. So that's why there's two guns in that bedroom. I just remembered your intro to this case. Yeah. I'm getting excited. Okay, continue. (laughs) It looked to him in that moment like she was bleeding from the neck. So he grabbed a pillowcase and wound it around the wound to help stop the bleeding. Mm -hmm. Then he called 911. Warren said it was a suicide He hadn't been there when the gun was fired, and obviously everyone who responded to the scene that night agreed. Mm -hmm. The trial was coming to a close, and the prosecution called the final witness, a rebuttal witness. His name was Tom Bevel, and he was an expert on bloodstain patterns. We've talked about blood spatter analysis Mm -hmm. on this podcast before. It's widely been discredited. Yeah, people seem to think it's kind of bullshit now. (laughs) But this was like 1996. Yeah, and they were still, you know, Uh all in on blood spatter. Got it. 
Um, so blood spatter analysis has been around for a very long time. I want to say this article said like since the 1890s. But in the past few decades, experts have really started to question it. They say it's kind of subjective, uh, not super scientific all the time. And there have been a lot of cases where people were wrongfully convicted over flawed blood spatter analysis. Mm-hmm. That's not to say it's completely useless. Yeah. But basically, you really have to know what you're talking about. And the other thing I'd say, just from reading some of this stuff, is like, you can't put too much emphasis on it. Like, I don't think your entire trial should hinge upon blood spatter analysis because right. it's not DNA, yeah. you know? It's, it has to be a component. Yeah, absolutely. Well, because... Um, a large part of it is interpretation. Yeah. Yeah. So one blood spatter expert's opinion of the scene could vary from another's. You can't base your entire case on something that could vary that differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The National Academy of Sciences has studied blood spatter analysis and the role it plays in American courtrooms. And they say that anyone who's going to serve as this kind of expert should have a very strong grasp, if not advanced degrees in math, physics, and the pathology of wounds. Wow. Which, yeah. I mean, if, you're, yeah. if your testimony could possibly put someone away for life mm-hmm. or let someone go free, yeah. you better be a fucking real expert. Absolutely. Uh, Tom Bevel didn't have any of that stuff, though. Great. Where'd Tom Bevel get his certification? Well, so here's Is it a mail order thing. <laughs> <laughs> so he had taken some professional training on mm-hmm. those topics. Oh, good, some great. But his background wasn't super sciencey. Mm-hmm. Here's the deal: he had worked for the Oklahoma City Police Department for a very long time, and he had an interest in this stuff. Mm-hmm. So he began offering his services as an expert witness. And he made a name for himself. He taught classes on this stuff. And he even wrote three editions of the textbook Bloodstain Pattern Analysis with an Introduction to Crime Scene Reconstruction. Hmm. So Tom takes a stand at Warren's trial. And they brought out the Hard Rock Cafe t-shirt that Warren had been wearing on the night of Bonnie's murder? Suicide? Question mark. <laughs> there was blood on it, obviously, but Tom zeroed in on the tiny specks of blood on the left shoulder of the shirt. Did those specks hit his shirt when Warren was performing CPR or when a gun was fired? Mm. Tom had the answer. It was when a gun was fired. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've got this long thing. I don't think I'm going to read it because it's kind of boring. But basically, he said, blood stains that are less than one millimeter in diameter, so mm-hmm. super tiny, yeah. can only occur because of a high velocity occurrence. Mm. And it has to be, in this case, the gunshot. What if he's doing CPR like super fast and hard? That's a very good question. Because you do it super hard and fast. Right. Huh. Okay. Tom says it's the gunshot. 
Mm. With that, they found Warren guilty. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Well, that it's going to get overturned and he's going to get a new trial because Tom Bevel's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to be widely discredited. Hey, how many textbooks have you written, Missy? Zero. <laughs> So Warren was sentenced to 30 years in prison. Later, the jury foreman said that until Tom Bevel testified, they were all prepared to go for an acquittal. Great. And Tom Bevel's testimony is full bullshit, right? That's what we're going to find out. (laughs) So years passed. (laughs) You know who also worked for the Oklahoma City Police Department? Who? Joyce Gilchrist. The woman who (gasps) made the... Yes! Who... Did the fraudulent blood work in the Beatrice Six case. What the hell is going on in Oklahoma City? (laughs) What? (laughs) Yeah, that's... mm. 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 There was one person who just couldn't let this case go. It was a man named Jim Varnon. Jim was a crime scene investigator for the Fort Worth Police Department. He was one of the first people who arrived on the scene when Bonnie died. And he was haunted by this case. It just didn't make any sense to him. Mm -hmm. If Warren really murdered Bonnie, then why tie the pillowcase around her neck? Mm -hmm. Wouldn't that just make him look more guilty? Yeah. So to him, it made sense that, like, if you think it's a neck wound, wound, yeah, you go in. But, I mean, if you've just shot someone in the chest, why would you wrap a pillowcase around their neck? Mm, That's true. And why bring in the shotgun? Wouldn't that make you look guilty, too? Like, if you've just shot someone with, with a revolver, do you go and grab a shotgun? Another no, gun? Not. No. And if he did shoot her, he would have had to have done it with the gun pressed against her skin. That's common in suicides, but pretty rare in murders. So, here's what it said. Basically... In a murder, there's almost always a struggle, and the victim has some sort of defensive wounds. And the gun is rarely pressed right up against their skin, because, like, if you've got a gun, we're going to be... Yeah. And, you know, you could definitely shoot me and kill me, but it'd be pretty hard for you to, like, get right up against me yeah, that's part of the point of a gun as a murder weapon, is it doesn't have to be as intimate. You don't have to be as close. Yeah. Like, if you're looking for a hands-on murder, you're going to stab someone. Brandy's murder recommendations. <laughs> if you really want to get your hands in there. <laughs> now, what I recommend is a figurine. <laughs> Plus, the timing didn't really work. If Warren truly staged this crime scene, then he did an amazing job. And he did it in an incredibly tight time frame. Well, fall down drunk. And he got Bonnie to die at the exact right moment because you could hear that she was alive on the 911 call, but then dead by the time police got there. Yeah, that's right. All, yeah, right. Yeah, that all is interesting when you add it all up like that. Okay, I'm so glad you had the reaction that you did because I feel like I would be the exact same way. Yeah. Like, it just, he seems good for this. But yeah. yeah, I mean, you add all that up, and it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, it make, doesn't sense. make sense. 
the pillowcase thing gets to yeah. me. Yeah. Why would you? Why would you do that? Yeah. But none of that had really mattered to the jury because they'd heard all of that, and yet they still found Warren guilty. So Jim went after the one thing he felt put Warren away. Bevel. <laughs> the blood spatter. <laughs> Do you think it's blood spatter or blood splatter? Spatter. <laughs> <laughs> so Tom traveled to New York. <laughs> Tom traveled to New York to talk to Herb McDonald, who is like the guy when it comes to blood patterns. Awkward side note, Tom studied under this dude, I guess. Mm. So, I mean, his training couldn't have been too bad, right? If he's studying under the guy. Yeah. But I don't know if that was like an afternoon class one time or a webinar or what. (laughs) (laughs) Well, probably not a webinar in the 90s. So Herb reviewed what Tom had concluded at trial, and he was like, hmm, no, I don't know. A lot of things can cause tiny blood specks. Mm -hmm. An analyst named Anita Zanin weighed in, too, and she said, yeah, Tom's testimony was wrong. Hmm. Really small blood specks like the the ones Tom described don't exclusively come from gunshots or, you know, high velocity, whatever. Yeah. They can come from CPR. Mm-hmm. I believe I said that. <laughs> <laughs> Our expert, Brandy. <laughs> this could go either way. Yeah, it could be from a gunshot, but it could be exactly what Warren described. There's no way to know. And therefore, Tom shouldn't have testified with such certainty that this one thing happened. Anita Zanin worked on this case for three years. The longer she worked, the more certain she became that there had been a miscarriage of justice. Mm -hmm. Overall, she decided that the evidence showed that the blood spatter more likely came from CPR than a gunshot. So she decided something had to be done. She reached out to an attorney named Walter Reeves. Walter works on innocence cases. He looked it over. And he very quickly concluded that Warren Hornick had been wrongfully convicted. He took the case pro bono. Meanwhile, Tom Bevel softened his stance on what happened to Bonnie. Hmm. But he was still like, oh, Warren for sure murdered her. But, you know, that thing I said about like it being for sure a gunshot. (laughs) You know, he just kind of like backed Backed it off. Yeah. Yeah. In the years since Warren's conviction, Tom has been linked to several wrongful convictions. Mm. There's not a ton of info about this case online, mm-hmm. um, so I wasn't able to like find everything, yeah. but I just found an article that said he's been linked to several wrongful convictions and also a bunch of convictions where there's like a big question mark mm-hmm. about what happened. So Warren's new lawyer, Walter Reeves, moves forward, and he basically had two goals. Either one vacate Warren's conviction, or, if we can't do that, just get a new trial. There were two hearings where a judge heard testimony from three forensic experts. All of them testified that, based on the evidence, Bonnie's death was a suicide. People all over the place were fired up about this case. Anderson Cooper did a show about it. 
Um, Time Magazine did a little something about it. Newsweek what did a year little blurb. Yeah, now I want to say 2011ish. Okay, Gosh, it was been in there a hot minute. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, by the time this hearing came out, yeah, I mean it's hard to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but it all came down to one judge. Would that judge recommend that the case go to the Court of Appeals? Or would the judge say, you've established that this man is innocent? What do you think the judge said? Court of Appeals. The judge said, neither. What? Okay, you said there were two choices. (laughs) (laughs) The judge said they hadn't established Warren's innocence. And they also hadn't established that Tom Bevel's blood splatter... Blood spatter testimony was false. What? He wasn't convinced at all? They hadn't established that it was false. As of 2017, Warren Horneck remains in prison. What? Yeah. That's the end? That's the end. That's the end. Can you believe that? No! So, So here's the thing. So Camille sent this in, and I was like, I, I read through that first article. Okay, so the first article is called A Bloody Injustice, uh-huh. and it's from a long time ago. Yeah. And it ends with kind of this question mark of, like, what will happen? And I was like, oh, this is going to be so good. So I, like, typey, typey, type, you know, reading this fascinating article over again. I was like, okay, I wonder what happened. Uh, Fucking there's, nothing. There's, like, nothing. There, it was really hard to find, like, good, reliable info on this. But, yeah, uh that's that's it. <gasps> Holy shit. Yeah. What do you think? You think he's innocent and he's in prison? I feel like an asshole on this one. You don't think he's innocent? No, I do think he's innocent. Uh-huh. But you think he was abusive, so it doesn't matter? Not that it doesn't matter. <laughs> hang on. Hang on. <laughs> this is why I feel like an asshole, because, like, yeah, I, I think Bonnie probably committed suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, a guy who shoots a gun above somebody's head, a guy with that kind of track record, I don't know. I'm mm-hmm. I'm not upset that he's been locked away. Mm-hmm. But that's a terrible thing to say because... That's a terrible society to live in where we just right. like lock people lock up people forever up. for yeah. something they didn't do. Oh my gosh. I don't know if he didn't do it. To me, the fact that the jury, according to the jury foreman, was headed toward acquittal. And then Bevel gets up there and they yeah. love everything he has to say. And then it turns out he's a total dipshit. <sighs> yeah. That is deeply unsettling. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Camille. Really appreciate it. <laughs> Camille's like, well, I'm done with them. Well, I'm turning this fucking podcast off. <laughs> I just think it's so fascinating. That is nuts. Yeah. What do you think? I don't know what I think. <laughs> Sorry. I think people don't kill themselves by shooting themselves in the chest. Why do you think that? Based on what? I don't know. Well, exactly. Based on 27 episodes of crime documentaries. <laughs> episodes of crime documentaries? That's right. <laughs> I've seen countless episodes, 27 of them involve suicides, and not a single one did they shoot themselves in the chest. 
It was frustrating on this shit. (laughs) Okay, what do you what do you got? I don't know. Let's see. Mm -hmm. It says no one does it. (laughs) Case closed. (laughs) The judge must have googled that exact same thing. Uh, I don't know. Um. Huh. This study presents a case series of suicides carried out by self-inflicted gunshot wounds to the chest. A relatively uncommon means of suicide. Uncommon. I mean, maybe he did it. And, you know, maybe the reason that the police and everybody was on his side was because he'd been their colleague for forever. You know, I mean, that's another that's another side of it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, there's so many questions. I don't like this. I know. I kind of wish. Okay, so I saw an article. um, It was in some law magazine that was clearly more on the side of Warren's a murderer and, you know, the attorneys for what? Well, I found a stupid, like, you know, one of those websites where people can ask questions and then yeah. just random idiots give their answers. Yes. So the question is, how often do people shoot themselves in the chest from suicide? Okay. That's not a great way to phrase that question. No. <laughs> the best answer says that I've heard that when a man uses a gun to shoot himself, he will normally put it put it in his mouth. When women use a gun to kill themselves, they often shoot themselves in the heart. Mm. I don't know how true this is or if it's folk legend or not. I can't think of any examples. Okay. Interesting. That is interesting. He does cite um, Bud Dwyer in his answer here. Bud Dwyer. Why does that the, sound familiar? He was the treasurer who shot himself on TV. Oh, yeah. Oh. Hmm. But like I was saying, there, I didn't find a satisfying amount of articles on this. I I put it into newspapers.com. There were three articles that popped up. So I was super pissed. But I part of me feels like is there stuff that we're missing with this mm-hmm. that would make it feel like this wasn't such a miscarriage of justice? Right. This person says suicide by a shot to the chest is a stupid way to go. Thank you. Did you just write that? (laughs) There are too many ways to screw it up and not die. Well, that's not stupid in my opinion. (laughs) We should probably, since we're talking about this so much, we should probably give the suicide hotline number. Let's do it. Suicide is never the answer. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. Thank you. I was starting to feel weird about that. Yeah, I know. I agree. Okay. I agree. So, yeah, that's... I don't like that case at all. Thank you. (laughs) I don't care for it one bit. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I don't either, because I got to the end of it, and I was like, There's no resolution. I don't know how I feel. Am I okay that he's in prison because I think he did it? I don't know. Do I think there was a grave miscarriage of justice? I don't know. (laughs) My favorite part was like that you were like sitting back in your chair totally ready for and we go to appeal and blah 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 and then it was just like and done (laughs) (laughs) i just knew how jarring that was for me when i was writing this and i yeah yeah not not great huh 
I don't like it. <laughs> Should we talk about something else? Yes, do you have please. Any, do you have I have no show notes. I have today. no show notes either. Fuck. So, you've been watching any good shows lately? What about a show I recommended to you last <gasps> week? Okay. Okay, so last week you said that there is a new show on Hulu that is basically our lives, and it's called Pin 15. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started watching. Okay, here's here's my problem. It's so much like us. I know. That I, like, I couldn't. I couldn't just breeze through them because it was too cringy. Yes. Because one of those girls is super tall. Yes. <laughs> like taller than yeah. everyone else yes. in the show. Yeah. Oh, oh. The part that like got me right off the bat, you know, there are things that you do or say at that age that like, yeah. you, that by the time you're an adult, you totally forget about that. Right. But then you hear it and you go, Oh my god! Okay, so there's this scene where they're having a slumber party. Do you remember? <laughs> I this? knew <laughs> they're having a slumber party, and one of the girls says to the other, "Oh my god! You know what if? Like I heard, I heard that so and so fell asleep one night, and then she woke up the next morning, and she had huge boobs." <laughs> What if when we wake up, we have huge boobs? <laughs> okay, I had totally forgotten it, but do you remember? Uh, yeah. Like, every slumber party. Oh, yeah. All of That's us what girls like, talk about at sleepovers. Yeah, like, oh my God, you guys, what if when we wake up, I have, like, double D boobs? <laughs> I read in Seventeen magazine that it that happened. It could totally happen overnight. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, there were there were lots of moments like that. Oh man, yeah, it's so much, so much of what our life was like. Did you have a moment like that? Um, yeah, I mean, several moments yeah. like that. Yes, yeah. Um, there's one point when they're doing a project for school and they have to um, film themselves, um, and they decide that they're going to be the Spice Girls. <laughs> they're arguing yes. over who gets to be which Spice Girl. <laughs> We had so many arguments. Oh, man. Man, we loved the Spice Girls. Yes. Yeah. You know, there are sad moments in that show, too. Oh, like, yeah. Like, some really sad moments. Like, you see the moment where, like, they just, they clearly love playing with these little dolls. Yeah. But then, you know, they hit middle school and, like, people start making fun of them. Yeah, it's even not cool. Th- and so then they stop doing the thing they enjoy yeah. because they feel like they have to be cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's sad. it's sad. We never stopped playing with dolls. We still play with dolls every week after the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> what if we did? That'd be really we sad. We never played with dolls, though, really. No, but I mean, like, dressing up as the Spice oh, yeah. Girls. I mean, that, oh, yeah. that hit a hard stop. It did, yeah. yeah. It was just like, that's done. Yeah, yeah. It's not cool anymore. Now that we're in middle school. Yeah. And we're so adult. Yes. We need to focus on whether those, we'll wake up with boobs. Can't sing those songs about <laughs> that were secretly about having sex. We had no idea. <laughs> uh, yesterday was a heartbreaking day for me, Kristen. Hmm. My Jayhawks lost last night, which means that they will not win the... Um, do you know what <laughs> they will not win the Big Twelve Conference? Uh huh. They've won fourteen years in a row. They will not win this year. It was going to be number fifteen. So sorry, for your no loss. chance of winning. 
It was pretty sad. It's yeah. pretty sad for me. And they looked terrible. They played so horribly last night. Ouch. Way to rub it in. It was bad. What if they're all listening I'm and they sure thought that they, they did a great job? They're all listening, yes. <laughs> <laughs> what what was so bad? Oh, they looked terrible. They couldn't they couldn't put any points on the board. It was horrible. Yeah. Yeah. They were down by like thirteen within the first five minutes or something. It was crazy. Ugh. Shameful. Are you a yeller at the TV? Or oh do yeah. You just do. Oh okay. No, I yell at it. Okay. Yeah. Or I make like really like snide comments like, "Oh yeah, that's great. Just pass it to the other team. Excellent. It's <laughs> exactly what you're supposed to do. Wonderful. Oh oh, another turnover. Excellent. You realize right that you are your dad. <laughs> You've just morphed into Because <laughs> your dad's the same way, oh, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do you two get together to watch these things? Oh, yeah. Okay, well, yeah. then it's, yeah, we need to. Yeah. There are so many aspects of your life I want to videotape. I would like to videotape that because I think uh-huh. people would find it really entertaining. Yeah. I also, and I know you think this is something you'd never do but i think this is like the next money making scheme <laughs> yeah i'm not doing set it. up hey i haven't even said <laughs> i know what it is you guys what if we set up a video camera in brandy's salon and you could just watch brandy don't don't shake your head watch brandy give haircuts i think it would be like asmr level relaxing now we'd have to like Cut out the sound because you laugh too loud. Oh, yeah, and that's not going to be relaxing <laughs> for anyone. But I mean, just watching a haircut, it's so relaxing. I know. That's why I do it. I love watching haircuts. <laughs> just like this transformation as you go is amazing, especially yes. men's haircuts. Okay, so what like I hear is a yes. What I'm hearing no, is, that's a, that's come a, on by. It's a hard pass, but thank well, you. <laughs> well. They <sighs> say I'm a dreamer. <laughs> Guess I'll stick that wonderful idea back into my back pocket. Um, I got some more bad news for you. What? What do you mean more bad news? I don't care that the Jayhawks lost. <gasps> How oh. dare you not care? I mean, I just don't care about sports. That's something that I take very seriously. Well, what about Salvi? Have you heard about Salvi? What happened to Salvi? He's out for the year. He has Tommy John surgery next week. Oh, I yes. do like Sal- Salvador Perez. Yeah, everyone. Salvador Perez, catcher for the Kansas City Royals. Out for the season. Yeah, it's really upsetting. That wasn't my more bad news. Oh, I was okay. Give you. Well, what's what's the bad news? <laughs> We're not at one thousand ratings and reviews yet. <laughs> <laughs> what? Can you believe it? Damn it, guys! We really are going to need you to come through on this. I'm really going through a rough time right now with all these this injury to Salvador Perez. My Jayhawks losing. Really, I got nothing to look forward to until March Madness starts. So if you guys could head on over there to iTunes, leave us a rating, leave us a review. That, that'll that really lift my spirits. And I am upset because Brandy just shot down my great business <laughs> venture. So <laughs> do it for both of us. Absolutely. And while you're at it, find us on social media. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on Reddit. We're on YouTube. Find us all those places. Have fun with us. And then, uh, you know, join us next week. When we'll be experts on two whole new topics. Podcast adjourned. 
And now for a note about our process. I read a bunch of stuff, then regurgitate it all back up in my very limited vocabulary. And I copy and paste from the best sources on the web, and sometimes Wikipedia. So we owe a huge thank you to the real experts. For this episode, I got my info from the article A Bloody Injustice by Dave Mann for the Texas Observer, as well as other articles by Dave Mann for the Texas Observer, the Hood County News, and Walter Reeves' website. And I got my info from an episode of Behind Mansion Walls, TrueTV.com, New York Magazine, and Wikipedia. For a full list of our sources, visit LGTCPodcast.com. Any errors are, of course, ours, but please don't take our word for it. Go read their stuff. 